We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you Wednesday night after the Wolves lost in Toronto by 23. Final score was Wolves 102, Raptors 125. It was a game that definitely was not taking that sort of shape early. The Wolves actually looked great in the first quarter. They were turning it over a bunch, but defensively they were having their way with the Raptors. Raptors only scored 20 in the first quarter. They're getting out aggressively on the perimeter and limiting looks at the rim for Toronto. And and I thought Cat specifically was rolling on both sides of the ball to start this game. In the first quarter, Cat had eight points, seven boards, and three assists. But unfortunately for the rest of the game, Cat only added eight more points to that total, only three more boards, and zero assists, which kind of continues this trend for Cat of hot first quarters then sort of tapering off as the game goes on. And you know, we, we've kind of asked Cat recently about that pattern uh, of you know kind of hot first quarters, and then it kind of slows down as the game goes on. And he's pointed to the fact that teams are loading up on him more and more lately and more and more as the game goes on in the second, third, and fourth quarter, which I think is accurate. You know, when, when Cat gets going, that's when you see the doubles coming earlier and more often, or tonight you saw the box and one look that the Raptors threw at him. The the question I have when, when these things are happening where, where cats shot total is big and then totally goes away is, you know, whether or not there is more cat can do to play through that coverage. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I've never been double triple teamed and, and felt like I needed to shoot more. I, I, I think it's, it's a hard thing for any of us to picture. I think it's, it's easy for us to pound the table and say, you know, he should shoot and drive through that coverage more often. But I, I don't, I don't know how how difficult that is to do. And and if so, if Cat were to boost his volume of shots through the more aggressive coverage, what sort of effectiveness hit would that would that aggressive aggression take on Cat's overall production in the game? And and I don't know. I'm 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 curious what the answer is there. I asked Cat something along those lines after tonight's game, and and this is what he had to say. Carl, you talking about the the double teams and the box and ones you've been you've been seeing a lot of lately in, in this season. Has there been games where the teams have kind of pe- turned back the coverage on you? 
no. where it's no, it's kind of it gets worse throughout the game. So um, that's a lot of respect. This you know team the team's giving me. Um, even players are just telling me we're boxing one of you. We're not going to let you catch the ball today. So I mean they they're well aware and they know I'm well aware of what's going on when I step onto the court. So um, Toronto was no was no exception. They 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 already told me what they were going to do on the court. They said after the first first couple of plays, getting some some buckets. You know, they're they're going to tighten that up a lot. So uh, the teams are letting me know they're definitely going to box in one meeting on triple team. I mean, you remember the double teams before used to come on the dribble. Now they're coming on the thought of a pass, not even the pass, but the thought of it. So uh, teams are giving me respect. You know, we just got to u- utilize that to our advantage. Is that frustrating at all when you only have 13 shots in a game and knowing that more shots for you could up the odds of winning? Say it again. Is it, is it frustrating at all when that is limiting your total shot attempts? Only 13 shots tonight. Like, what, what do you do to boost that shot volume through the aggressive coverage? Can you? Uh, there's ways. You know, we'll have to go to the drawing board and we'll have to talk about it as a team. But uh, there's ways. Um, at the end of the day, with triple, with triple teams, double teams, boxing ones, at the end, of, uh, I feel like <laughs> – even with the shot attempts not going up, just touching the ball makes the defense have to be in a, a disadvantage right away. Um, if you see in the post, you know, they throw me the ball in the post. They come on the with the ball in flight. I throw it right back to the person who passed it to me. They're already at a disadvantage. We put them in rotation. We get, we're getting a little, really good look. So uh, I think utilizing that a little more and, um, you know, um, just, you, you know, in a way, utilizing me like a decoy, you know, starting the offense from the big and, and then letting everyone uh, get their shots much easier. As Kat said there, he believes there are ways they can continue to get him shots, even as the coverage ramps up throughout the game. I think, to me, the the non-coach view of things, pretty basic, is I think that is true. I think they can find more ways to get Cat more shots as the coverage ramps up, but under the one caveat of Ant or D'Lo, maybe both of them, need to pick Cat up when those coverages do get really aggressive. I mean, if the Wolves can come out in first quarters and have Cat dominate, as he often does, the next step of the equation needs to be to take advantage of those more aggressive double teams in the second quarter and beyond that, right? Like, yeah, some of that is going to be again about, you know, spacing Torian Prince's Malik Beasley's hitting threes around him. But I think the way to really punish this type of coverage that Cat is seeing is to be able to sort of pass the baton to your next best scoring options and have you know have them dictate for a quarter or so i asked cat in that question if there has been any game this season where the defensive sort of you know relented on him as the game has gone on and as you heard he flat said no now i don't know if that's 100 percent true but don't you think that kind of checks out in your memory of your eye test of the games over the course of the season like do you feel that a team has really loaded up on cat and then at some point pulled that back because someone else got going like I don't I don't think so and if that's true if teams never let up on their focus on cat at the end of the day that actually falls largely on his teammates for not being able to punish that type of coverage I mean not to do the Jokic and Embiid thing all the time but more often than not we're seeing Embiid and Jokic be able to punish more aggressive coverages by finding teammates in that sort of way to, to pick them up. I mean, there, there, there should have been more games this year where Cat 
is aggressively being doubled all night, and then it turns into Ant or Delo going off as a product of that coverage. I, I just, it's hard for me to list many games this season where I feel like that has exactly happened. It certainly didn't happen tonight. I mean, Anthony Edwards did have a good game, uh, 24 points for him. He shot 60% from two, 57% from three, which maybe brings me back to the idea that the Wolves might need both Ant and D'Lo to pick Cat up when he's being sort of schemed out of the offense. One way or the other, D'Lo was not there to pick Cat up tonight. Russell only made three of the 15 shots he took tonight, one of seven from three, two of eight from two, which does unfortunately continue a trend for D'Lo and his poor play of late as well. It's now been 14 games since Russell scored 20 points in a game, and in those 14 games, he's averaging just 12.4 points per game, 7.6 assists, 3.1 boards, shooting only 27% from three, that's on 82 attempts, and only 45% from two. Now, it's probably intuitive, but Those numbers are a huge shift from the chunk of the season sort of right before that. If you go to the 21 games he played prior to this 14-game cold stretch, in those 21 games from mid-January sort of through through February, uh, D'Lo was averaging 21 points per game, 7.2 assists, 2.9 rebounds, shooting 39% from three and 59% from two, which means his scoring in these 14 games has dropped by nine points per game comparatively while the assists and rebounds have stayed the same basically. And it means that his three point shooting has dropped by 12% in this run and two point shooting has dropped by 14%. And that's a major, a major, major production hit. Here's Chris Finch when asked about D'Angelo Russell after the game tonight. Chris, what's the biggest thing D'Angelo can do better right now? Uh, you know, he's just got to step into his shot and make him. He's getting good open looks. Um, you know, stay confident in his shot. You know, knock it down. It'll come. That comment reminds me a lot of earlier in the season when Finch would talk about the Wolves three-point shooting as a team, sort of, you know, his his blackjack belief, right? Like sort of believing that lulls aren't trends, but instead a reason to believe that things are about to turn for the better. And that, that proved accurate, right, with the Wolves three-point shooting as a team. Uh but it also kind of reminds me of how Finch talked about the defense as it also sort of hit an extended lull in February and January before kind of now starting to resurface a little bit at the end of the season, which all just kind of got me thinking about how bizarre it is that Delo's season has taken sort of the opposite arc of the Wolves defense this year, right? Like if you think about it, Delo really struggled at the beginning of this season just overall, which was happened to clearly sort of be the time of the season where the Wolves defense was at its best. You know, then D'Lo gets going individually toward the middle chunk of the season, but that's when the defense for the Wolves as a team was clearly at its worst. And now the defense has come back around some and D'Lo is in maybe his worst stretch of the season. And I I don't know, that's, that's bizarre. Uh, Maybe, maybe it's just happenstance randomness that just kind of happened to line up, but I I don't know. (laughs) I, I do wonder if it's something more than that. I wonder if there's a correlation. It it does look like an odd pattern. And if it is a real pattern, it's it's pretty concerning because it hints at the idea that D'Lo is not a ceiling raiser for this team, which is exactly what he's supposed to be. But at the same time, on the other side, if it is a pattern, maybe this we will just look at this as a lull. Maybe Finch is right, you know, and 
and we're going to turn the corner on this lack of production in the next 15 games or so will be more like the middle of the season was from deal. I, I really, I really don't know. But at this time, kind of given this extended lull, it's it's beginning to feel like Delo is not congruent with what this team is trying to do. Again, still time, five more regular seasons games and, you know, whatever the playoffs present, you know, to kind of figure out if this is a trend that can bend back. You know, for D'Angelo Russell is hoping for a contract extension this summer. It feels like this final segment of the season will be very meaningful to great. All right, let's mix in a quick break here, and then we'll be back to talk about this heavy turnover game and just sort of how we've seen the Wolves miss Jade McDaniels and Malik Beasley in these last few games. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are back discussing the Wolves' 23-point loss in Toronto on Wednesday night. I mentioned it earlier, but the turnovers for the Wolves tonight were a major, major driving factor of the loss. 22 turnovers, and this one was the second most turnovers they've had in a game this season. This was also sort of a reversion back to the beginning of the year for the Wolves, where if you remember, turning the ball over was a major problem. And we often talk about sort of that post-COVID line in the sand where the Wolves got their whole roster back on January 5th. You know, that's kind of the date we use once everyone was back from COVID and how since then, you know, the Wolves have been number one or one of the top offenses in the NBA. Well, a contributing factor to the Wolves offense being substantially better since that January 5th date has been turnovers. Before January 5th, beginning of the year, first couple months, the Wolves were terrible turning the ball over. They ranked 27th in the league in turnovers committed. And since then, they've, they've really cleaned that up. They're, they're 10th in the league in turnovers committed in that time. Again, a reason the offense is spiked up. Coming into tonight, if you were to go through the Wolves' 15 highest turnover games along those lines, like the, the, the 15 games they turned the ball over 17 times or more, 13 of those games came before that January 5th date. 13 heavy turnover games in October, November, and December. And then since then, it's only been two heavy turnover games. Ironically, or maybe not ironically, those two heavy turnover games since January 5th came against Oklahoma City on March 5th in a game that they won by the Wolves won by 37. And then on March 7th against Portland, it was a game the Wolves won by 43. And they they had 
heavy turnovers in that game. So tonight was literally the first time since January 5th that this Wolves team has had more than 16 turnovers in a game and lost. Here's Finch after the game on the nature of those turnovers tonight. Yeah, they, I mean, they're very fit. They're physical. They're very handsy. If you draw on it, if you play in a crowd, they're going to take it from you. Um, and they, um, you know, they're, they're, they're a great defensive team. Um, they, you know, a lot of our, I mean, we had a lot of turnovers that were just dumb, you know, like just silly turnovers, just throwing the ball out of bounds off of outlet passes and stuff like that. I don't, I don't I will say for me, I'm not very concerned about this becoming a trend for the Wolves again. Uh, like we said, that many turnovers for the Wolves has been a major rarity over the past 40 games. They actually they actually do a good job of managing the live ball pretty well with Ant and D'Lo. And, you know, it's oftentimes offensive fouls is, is where they're getting a lot of turnovers. And I, I, I do think tonight was a product of some dumb turnovers, as Finch said. But I also think, like, Toronto's defense deserves credit there. That's that's what they do. The Raptors are the only team in the league who generates more turnovers than the Wolves have this season. They're literally the best team in the league at turning opponents over. It was, I thought it was just a classic case tonight of kind of beating yourself by allowing the opponent to do what they do best against you. Really, the Raptors kind of beat the Wolves at their own game. So typically, Toronto is a team that tries to beat you with turnovers. And by getting you on the offensive glass, just like the Wolves do. But the third leg to the Wolves' success this season, right, has been the three-point shooting. Beyond getting turnovers and getting offensive rebounds, they're one of the they've been one of the the Wolves have been one of the highest volume and highest effectiveness three-point shooting teams in the league. And that's not typically a path the Raptors take to winning. That's that's as similar as the Raptors and Wolves are with Finch and Nurse. Like that's that's the deviation. The Raptors are normally a low volume and low accuracy three-point shooting team, but not the case tonight. Toronto made 50% of their threes, 18 for 36 from deep, while the Wolves looked more like the low volume and low accuracy three-point shooting team. The Wolves only made 29.7% of their threes tonight, not even very high volume, only 11 of 37 from deep. And if anything spells a loss for the Wolves this season, it's uh, it's poor three-point shooting. That was the 14th game this season that they've made 11 or fewer threes in a game. And they're now 4-10 and 10 in those games with 11 threes or fewer. I mean, the nature of the Wolves' offense is to go through Cat and to support him with surrounding three-point shooting. You know, if Cat is being taken away in coverage or if he's resting, like, that's how the Wolves win. And tonight was, tonight was a far cry from that, which... I think naturally brings up Malik Beasley, who missed his second game in a row tonight. I mean, Beasley is the Wolves' highest volume three-point shooter and the best three-point shooter on the roster outside of Cat. And now this stat isn't like the be-all, end-all truth of Beasley's season, but I but I think it is a noteworthy one in that it, it highlights something. Beasley has missed three games this season, three total, and these are the results of those three games. A 31-point loss to Philadelphia, a 22-point loss to Boston, and a 23-point loss to Toronto tonight. Obviously, you know, Beasley has had bad shooting performances in some of the games he's played this season. They probably lost games this season because of Beasley. But my broader point is that Beasley's presence on the floor as a shooter, it significantly raises their upside as an offense. And it's almost always there when the Wolves bench is able to go on a run. Beasley often drives that. The bench did not 
have that upside tonight, which honestly made it kind of tough to pick a forgotten star of the game. The bench just shot a combined 10 of 33 from the field in this one. So tough to find silver linings. But I did have Jalen Noel defense in my notes written down a few times in this one. So we'll make Noel the forgotten star of tonight's game presented by a forgotten star brewery simply because, I mean, Noel's path to more minutes down the road next season or certainly in the playoffs will be about, you know, how much they can rely on him defensively. I think the biggest thing with Noel this season is that he kind of had his aha moment about how defense was going to be what keeps him on the floor in the league. I mean, we know from Noel the offense is there, but Finch, like Ryan Saunders before him, has been reticent to give Noel big minutes due to the potential for him being a defensive liability. To my eyes, I feel like Noel has been less of a defensive liability this season, even if it's still not good. I mean, defensive effective plus minus, probably the best catch-all defensive metric grades. Noel is the Wolves' worst defender this season. Noel ranks in the third percentile in the whole league amongst amongst guards in defensive EPM. So it hasn't been great. I'm not saying that. But in an effort to look for silver linings, I think the eye test suggests, including tonight, that Noel is slowly improving on that. And I think I think that will ultimately determine what Noel's role is on this team in the playoffs. If he's getting consistent playoff minutes, it will be because Finch believes Noel can be closer to an average level defender. And if he and if Noel doesn't get minutes, it will be because Finch has just chosen to prioritize defense from elsewhere. I thought tonight Noel was that average level of defender, which which feels notable because they need him on the floor. Unfortunately, tonight on the other side of the ball, offensively, it wasn't pretty for Noel. And I think that was in part because Noel was kind of leaning a little too far into the Beasley role on offense and away from his sort of normal bucket getter attack mode sort of thing. I mean, tonight, six of Noel's seven shots were threes. That's a that's a Beasley stat line. You know, Noel is at his best offensively when the three point shooting is kind of like the gravy where he's getting the majority of his points by attacking the basket. I don't know. I mean, all in all, maybe not a great game from Noel, but I'm noting the defense tonight maybe as the reason that Noel had the best plus minus on the team in this game. So for that, we'll give we'll give Noel the forgotten star of the game. Speaking of forgotten star, thank you uh, again for those of you who came out to our watch party we did on Sunday night and supported Forgotten Star Brewery. If you if you didn't have the time to come on Sunday, I do recommend checking Forgotten Star out as the weather gets nicer here. And who knows, maybe we'll do another one of those watch parties or some sort of event here as spring and summer rolls around. All right, let's wrap this one up with some prize picks. I went two and two on my picks tonight. Uh, one of my correct picks was betting on a big night from Gary Trent Jr. I took the over on 20 and a half points plus rebounds plus assists for Trent, and he finished with 29 points on six made threes while also adding two rebounds to his stat sheet. So we got that one. Uh, I also took the over on two and a half made free throws for Fred Van Vliet, only 12 points and some poor shooting from Van Vliet tonight. He was the only Raptors starter who didn't really kill the Wolves and only went to the free throw line once, missing his one free throw. So we missed that pick, um, which made us one and one on our Raptors picks. And my two Wolves picks were on Patrick Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt, expecting some energy tonight. I took the over on nine points for Beverly and he finished with 10, but then I took the over on seven and a half rebounds for Vanderbilt 
and he only finished with seven. So one and one on Raptors picks, one and one on Wolves picks. That puts me at two and two on the night, which brings me to 156, 145, and 10 on these picks on the season. There is still time in the playoffs to create a prize picks account if you want to play some daily fantasy basketball in these Wolves games or just games around the NBA. Prize picks is still offering a $100 sign up bonus if you sign up using the promo code Dane when you use, when you create an account. So if you do make an account at prize picks, make sure you get that $100 by using promo code Dane at prizepicks.com or on the prize picks app. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to miss this little uh, three minute standings bit I do at the end of each of these episodes. It's been, uh, it's been a trip monitoring the wolves in these standings the past few months. I've said this before since January 31st, the wolves have been the seventh seed every day, except for one day, that one 24 hour window where they pass the nuggets for the sixth seed. Uh, for a minute. Uh, I mean, that's just a, a crazy amount of time to sit in in one in one seed, particularly considering that since January 31st, the Wolves record is still 16 and seven. I mean, it's it's nuts. They haven't moved, but the seven seed is shaping up to be their fate in this one. The Wolves are now five games in the loss column behind Dallas, who I just checked the standings and they are now Dallas is all the way up to tied for the three seed with Golden State after Dallas won tonight. So the Wolves are now five behind Dallas in the last column for the three, five behind Golden State for the four. And the Wolves are now three games behind Denver in the last column after Denver also won tonight and the Wolves lost. But Denver is actually the five seed now. The Nuggets currently sit at 46 and 31, which means the six seed is actually the Utah Jazz, who are 45 and 31. So however you slice it, the Wolves are three games in the loss column out of both three games out of getting out of the plan five games, three games behind both Denver and Utah in the loss column. I do think whatever sort of slither slither sliver of hope remains for getting the sixth seed. I think it still goes through Denver. I know, I know Utah has been struggling lately. They've lost five in a row, but the one catch there is that the jazz do have the tiebreaker on the Wolves this year, whereas the Wolves will have the tiebreaker over Denver. And at least with Denver, you know you get the chance to play them and potentially beat them on Friday. That would claw the deficit down to two games in the last column. I mean, with Utah, yes, they could keep losing, but that tiebreaker really makes them a game further away from the Wolves. I don't know. Maybe it's close odds between those two. Either way, those odds are certainly slim right now for either for passing passing either of those teams. We'll keep tracking it. And if the Wolves do win in Denver on Friday, we can then have a whole new conversation about who the Wolves first round opponent might be, because things are definitely getting weird in the standings. The sixth seed would now draw Dallas in the sta- in, in the playoffs if the standings held, because Dallas is now up to the three seed. But we will cross that bridge if and when we get there next up is Denver on Friday. I will be heading to Denver for that one, and I will have be recording a pod tomorrow on Thursday afternoon, previewing that matchup with the guys from DNBR Sports who I've had on the pod before. I still think this game matters, um, if not for seeding, simply for sort of getting back right, uh, as I've been saying for a while now. So look for that episode in your feed on Thursday night with the DNBR guys, and then I will be back 
to talk to you about the result of the Nuggets matchup on Friday night. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else.